Hello, I'm Ona Merku, and welcome to the latest episode of Reimagining Capital Projects. Today's discussion will focus on the benchmarking of capital projects and programs, including the role that innovation and technologies play in their success. And I'm delighted to be joined by two new guests, Alistair Hellier, the Head of Benchmarking for the Infrastructure and Projects Authority, the UK Government's Centre of Expertise for Infrastructure and Major Projects. He's also the lead on a number of initiatives for building benchmarking capability for the UK infrastructure system. And Dan Hurst, a director in PwC's Capital Project Services team and a leader of our program controls capability. His experience spans major UK and international infrastructure programs across sectors, including transport, energy and utilities. And he is also part of the IPA's Industry Benchmarking Working Group. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thanks, Ian. So straight to you, Dan. What is benchmarking in the context of capital projects and programs? So simply, I mean, to me, benchmarking is really about data-driven comparison uh, across a range of measures and metrics um, for infrastructure programs. And, you know, what's the purpose of it? Well, really, it's about enabling learning from others, uh, understanding the opportunities that that learning presents, and ultimately to improve decision-making and the optimization of projects to maximize the value that we get from our investments. So, Alistair... Dan's definition is quite quite broad and, and but quite specific in, in that context as well. Um, how important is benchmarking and, and why is that the case? Yeah, I think it's really, really important. So I think early on in, in projects where there's limited information um, in terms of the scope and it's deliverable, you know, top-down benchmarking provides an opportunity to help create a bit of rigor, a bit of um, uh, support around that, that number, a bit of, you know, make it a bit more robust as well in understanding the project expectations in terms of uh, delivery, cost and, and performance as well. And also benchmarking brings together different organisations together, different data sets and helps to share best practices across those organisations. And it's not just about comparing costs, but also potentially comparing standards. So one organisation may be incredibly well versed in building embankments and they can share that understanding and, and standards and that approach with maybe in organisations that's less less versed in building that type of asset. So when you, when you talk about um, the various different points there, the data points of you know, cost, etc., what what are what are the key aspects of projects that we should be benchmarking against? Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, you know, um, cost is really, really important to make sure we are driving value for money, but as you see recently in the news, it's all about it's also about performance. It's about outcomes and outputs as well, uh, and carbon. You know, it's it's not just about cost. It's it's all of those, and time. You know, when things will be delivered on time as well. So it's not just a, a, a cost focus. It should be outcomes, performance, time, carbon. Uh, you know, people's happiness as well is really important as well. Yeah, I mean, I I I, I agree, and I think you know. What, what we what we look at in terms of how benchmarking you know, is applied through the life cycle of a project. You made reference, Alistair, to, to top-down benchmarking, and you know that's right. At the early planning stages, you know benchmarking really should be delivered at a system level. You know pounds per megawatt of a new nuclear power plant, um, and really you know that top-downing ap- approach reflects the limited design information uh, available at, at the early stages of a project, and and the output of the benchmarking really can help to start to define with respect to cost, say a target cost on. Envelope, um, you know that, that ultimately designers can then design too, in the same way of benchmarking carbon and sustainability type metrics. You know for then designers to, to seek to achieve as they as they develop the program, um, and and ultimately as the design matures and is developed, you know benchmarking is done at, at a more detailed level. Uh, you made reference to embankments, Alistair, and you know asset component benchmarking, for example, you know pounds per kilometre of a 
board tunnel, um, as well as actually benchmarking non-asset costs, indirects, prelims and, and the other things. So that actually as, as the program matures, you're able to get more insight in terms of what each of those components should look like with respect to cost and those other metrics that we've just just defined. I think it's interesting because you've both described quite a, a wide range of different um, data points we could capture. And I think, Dan, um, in understanding that, what, what are the current challenges then in undertaking benchmarking, both from a project and maybe a wider industry perspective? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think for me, the overall challenge really is 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 ultimately the immaturity of benchmarking within within industry and and you know capital projects themselves. Uh, globally, one can see that you know within the oil and gas uh, space, private sector, they do do significant amount of benchmarking. For example, the output of different types of well and things like that. But actually, within the infrastructure space and particularly within the public sector, um, to date, there's been very limited benchmarking. In terms of the challenges, you know, to, to that sort of underpin that, you know, it's it's the understanding that organisations have as to what benchmarking is and how it can add value, um, and then you know, once they understand and, and want to to do benchmarking, is how do they do it and the application of it. And I think the other thing is is around you know the competing sort of data and information on projects. Um, which, which at the moment is not consistent and therefore it's difficult to drive consistent value, consistent KPIs and, and a sort of structured approach to benchmarking um, that will enable us to to actually draw comparisons across different organisations. And Alistair, have you come across specific challenges in industry that, 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 that are kind of pertinent to you? Yeah, uh, loads, um, to, be, to be honest. So I think, I, I think it's improving um, the appetite for, for, for benchmarking actually and I've seen that in the last sort of two and a bit years I've been at the IPA but you know there needs to be more of that appetite to utilise and leverage benchmarking and also bringing benchmarking into the heart of decision making often I've, I've been seeing benchmarking sort of been done uh, to almost sort of validate or to qualify a number or a performance rather than being you know brought right at the front end to help challenge uh, you know the project and and the scope as it goes forward. So it's rather it's sort of used more as an assurance piece, as a you know we sort of reverse into it and say actually that does meet our benchmarks, rather than actually using you know uh, benchmarking to drive decision making, intelligent decision making. And I'd like to see more of that. Um, and it is happening, but I think that's one of the, the sort of challenges at the moment is how to bring that in, in earlier part of the decision making and actually make it as part of your BAU. Is that a capabilities problem in the industry at the moment then? Absolutely. So I see at the IPA, uh, Nick Smallwood, he, you know, he's got his three Ps, which is the performance, people and principles. And that really resonates, particularly in benchmarking, because it isn't just uh, a data piece. And data is really, really important. Um, you know, I can give lots of great data, you know, on embankments or tunnels to one organisation. And they could be incredibly intelligent for that piece of project because they've got that data. But how do they then ingest that data? How do they then, um, you know, move themselves forward and utilise that for other projects or other, and other approaches? So it's really about, you know, being, make sure you've got the performance right, that you're driving the right decision making with, with data and with your organisation. You know, the people, having the right people, having the right culture. Culture is really, really important in this space as well. And in principles, getting the basics right. And again, something that, you know, we're not seeing as much, you know, we'd like to see more of in those particular three areas. I, I, I guess, Dan, on that point, then, a lot of investment might be required to kind of drive this forward from industry. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the challenge that you have is actually um, in the infancy of, of developing those capabilities and establishing benchmark data and, and the capabilities to use it. 
you know, the value is limited because the data set is limited. But obviously, as you invest and the data set grows and the capability yeah. grows, actually, you're able to get more and more and ever increasing value out of the exercise of yeah. benchmarking in itself. Um, and so, you know, absolutely, investment is a key piece, um, particularly given some of the sort of competing demands that, you know, we, mm. we have both within industry, you know, some of the margins that the, that the tier ones are working to, you know, actually to, to enable an investment in this piece. Uh, you know, is competing with, say, investment in technology around BIM and some of the other other tools and, and things that mm. we can see within industry. And I think, you know, we touched on data and obviously, you know, there there is a broader set of capabilities that we need to establish. But for me, you know, actually getting to a point where we can get some consistency uh, in terms of how data is structured and captured um, within and across most, most importantly different organisations, um, you know, in terms of actually establishing, for example, work and cost breakdown structures that, mm. that enable comparison at some level is, is really important. And again, that, that requires investment, maybe not capital, but definitely time and resource. Mm. And I think, um, Alistair, I'm, I'm, I'm taking collaboration in as it's probably at the heart of this uh, from an organisational perspective. Absolutely. So um, a really good example is um, we've we done some tunneling work and we'll touch upon that in a bit later, but there are some organisations, some delivery and private infrastructure organisations and delivery bodies that you know manage uh, and operate maybe 20 or 30 tunnels in, in the UK, but some of those organisations haven't built a tunnel in 20 or 30 years. So, And actually going forward, there's lots and lots of tunnelling about to happen. So some of these organisations fundamentally don't have data on, on tunnels or because they haven't built them for a long, long time before this sort of, you know, this data sort of um, revolutions happened. And so although tunnels aren't a unique asset, in the UK we built something between uh, up to 30 tunnels in the last 15 years, but actually for some organisations they are unique. So co collaboration is a necessity in order to help, you know, empowering clients. I, I like this term, clients empowering clients, actually helping, collaborating and sharing. And we need to do more of that because it, it isn't quite happening. There's a bit of sensitivity. Um, I think as Dan mentioned earlier about, you know, standards and templates and, you know, and that needs to change. But actually, you know, for us as an organisation, for our organisations to move forward, you know, that collaboration and sharing of insight is, is fundamental. It has to happen. And I guess, Dan, considering the typical dynamic project environment you might expect, um, addressing these issues in a consistent manner is, is probably key. It is, and uh, and I think as well as the consistencies, as we've touched on in terms of <coughs> setting rules, be it you know templates and structures and so on, uh, to enable comparison. One of one of the key challenges I see is, um, <coughs> you know, th there is a desire for for um, our clients to uh, engage with benchmarking and to, you know, inform decision making mm. using benchmarking analysis. But one of the real sort of sensitivities is is actually the, the commercial, um, you know, insight that, that benchmarking provides and, and the anonymization of, you know, commercially sensitive mm -hmm. data um, that, that ultimately if you're sharing costs across different organisations, there, there's a certain level of disclosure required. And one of the key challenges for me is how, how can we um, establish a, a benchmarking environment across organisations that addresses some of those challenges, uh, be that around anonymisation of data, you know, uh, and or data sharing agreements that actually enable um, different organisations to see the data, um, but there's an understanding as to how that will be used and how it will not be used. So, picking up on that point, Alistair, sh should we be making benchmarking a requirement on projects? So, so uh, uh, absolutely. I think if you don't ask for it, it won't happen. 
And actually, if you sort of, you know, um, if, if you've got time and you, you're that way inclined and you decide to read all the policies out there from, from, from not just us, from other government departments as well, there isn't a real sort of um, a requirement to, to leverage or utilise benchmarking. So, you know, if you, if you don't, and it's up to us actually as government to, to drive that and, and to make those changes. And, and I think, you know, there, 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 will be, there will be a move to sort of look into put some firmer policy around the use of benchmarking, the need for benchmarking, you know, to demonstrate everything we've mentioned before about, you know, uh, value for money, you know, delivery confidence. Because, again, it's not just benchmarking um, the project. It's also benchmarking the organisation that they've got the capabilities, you know, going back to Nick's people, performance and principles point as well. So I think there will be, you know, there is a role and there will be a move towards making um, uh you know, put a bit more rigor and a bit more, you know, structure behind, you know, looking to potentially mandate or put a new policy out there for benchmarking. And I, I guess, Dan, from my perspective, then really, it's kind of taking it up a level from all this um, in-depth discussion we've just had. How do we fundamentally address that data sharing challenge? Is it about having that consistent framework in place? Yeah, I think I think that is one component, but but actually to 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 sort of enable it, we need to increase the 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 awareness and the capability within industry and you know IPA um, and and the working group that I've been part of uh, w- with Alistair is is has published guidance to industry as to how benchmarking should be um, delivered within the infrastructure um, market and sector. Uh, and and actually building on that is then okay uh, if that is sort of you know. Broadly, the guidance that the that mm. government sort of is 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 setting out for for industry to follow. Um, the next component really is around trying to actually establish the existing maturity of of the various um, delivery bodies. Um, and and one of the things that we're working on currently is a is a maturity assessment tool, so that actually clients can uh, understand where they are and and also start to set a sort of a maturity plan to to actually build that capability. Um, and so the data, the data piece is, is one, but actually um, until clients are sufficiently aware of the ask and mm. where they are in terms of their, their existing capability, um, the data is sort of, you know, to some extent in the background. Going forward, you know, absolutely getting the data structures and standards across organisations and, and potentially sort of common data environments dealing with the anonymization and the, the data sensitivity point that I mentioned earlier, you know, are, are going to be absolutely key. And I know that's something that the IPA are sort of considering at the moment. Yeah. And I guess um, from your perspective in IPA, uh, Alistair, um, h- how do we, you know, encourage people to get involved? So <clears throat> as, as Dan said earlier, it's, you know, it, at the moment the IPA are looking at, uh, well, we're working with industry in, in publishing, um, the benchmarking capability tool, and you know this this is this isn't this is a, an environment system change that's required. It's not you know it's about good good policy to drive good behaviours. Um, you know the right policies drive right behaviours. It's also about as Dan said about you know ensuring organisations have the capability and you know importantly the capacity to undertake. Um, top-down benchmarking and benchmarking and cost estimating and other things that are really important to project delivery as well. And and then it's about, you know, it's about that, that, that data piece as well, having, you know, access to the data to make that, you know, informed decision-making. So there isn't a, uh, a silver bullet, uh, or, you know, to this. There are, there are, there are multiple, um, you know, 
policy or levers that need to be pulled in order to help and support our, our organisations to do better top-down benchmarking and, and, and other parts of the, the project delivery um, space as well. And, and Dan, we mentioned the maturity organisations possibly being a, a barrier to having this been addressed effectively in the past. Um, are there any kind of other overarching barriers that need to be overcome initially? You know, the key for me is ultimately... Um, Projects are generating a huge amount of data and that is only going to grow and grow and grow. And the sooner that actually we can get some uh, sort of the environment and the ecosystem for effective benchmarking across the industry established, it's going to enable us to you know, really leverage that on an ongoing basis. Uh, the longer we wait to really establish it, uh, the less value we're going to get out because we're all the data that we're capturing at the moment you know, is not in those consistent sort of forms and structures that we've touched on. So much of our conversation to date has been around benchmarking at a high level. Um, Alistair, diving into a bit of detail for a few moments, do you have any uh, practical examples you could possibly share um, that may resonate with the audience? Yeah, so, I mean, for for us, we've done a piece of work last year on uh, tunnelling, um, and that, that link's available. I'm sure, no doubt, it'll be somewhere in of, around in this podcast. And, you know, for me, the tunnelling work was um, a really good piece of insight into some of the challenges actually that that the industry are facing in terms of undertaking top-down benchmarking or any you know benchmarking and that is that you know sort of Dan mentioned a few times about the you know the data standards so we we, we asked organizations so firstly it was a really good project because an organization approached us and said look we need access to better data tunneling data in order to make you know better investment decisions because we've got lots of tunneling projects going forward can you help us so we're like right brilliant absolutely so we convened a, a group of organizations together and we asked them if they can provide their their tunneling data to us and oh my god it was a rabble like the data was so poor um it was just it was just it's almost meaningless when you try to put it together and you know that was a learning experience for us so what we then worked with British Tunneling Society and we developed a, uh, a template um, capturing the key cost drivers or the key performance drivers. It's not just about cost for tunnels. We also identified tunnels that um, were completed from the year 2000 onwards. So again, we had an issue with um, inflation. You know, we had some tunnels providing us from, you know, 1970s. And we uh, so we identified these tunnels and we went out and we looked for that data. And that was quite difficult for our, our organisations that we work with, and they're both public and private organisations in that group, because it, it became apparent they never actually centralised a lot of this data. Um, it was generally on Bob and Sue's laptop in a regional office somewhere. So, you know, it took about eight to ten weeks to actually understand where that data is, find that data, extract that data, and provide it to the IPA. But we got some really, really good high-quality data which then got shared back around to those organisations. And it was very much, you give us one, you walk away with 20. So every single one of those organisations walked away with 20 bits of really rich attribute data. And we also had subject matter experts in the room helping us to understand, you know, the relationship between the data points and, and the key drivers. And that, you know, was a really, really great, um, I'm going to just say a really great piece of work. And we're really proud and pleased by that because it actually helps to, you know, set set what we want to do, actually. I, I think that's a really fascinating case study because the UK is one of the leading, you know, destinations for tunnelling expertise in the world and the amount of interesting tunnelling projects going on here at the moment. So uh, that's really fascinating. Uh, Dan, um, I think you've been involved in a European rail programme in a similar capacity. 
Yeah, um, I mean, just just before I sort of dive into that one as a, as a specific, I think you know it, it it really resonates what Alistair just described because actually we are we're piloting and pioneering to some extent, which is we don't actually know what the answer looks like, yeah. and we're engaging and really trying to innovate and yeah. and yeah. and and create and work out what what the you know inverted commas right answer uh, needs to look like and. And the, the BTS um, example on a specific asset base, you know, is is a great example of that. I think, you know, for me, um, various clients that I'm working with on, on in the benchmarking space, but two two sort of you know examples. One where actually it was relatively straightforward, which was actually internal within one of the large uh, UK infrastructure. Um, public sector bodies, uh, where actually they do capture uh, data on a relatively consistent basis. And what that enabled was uh, relatively easy comparison across projects um, to to actually identify best practice and and and, and techniques and, and so on that the individual projects were using that could actually be leveraged across the portfolio. Um, <clears throat> on the flip side, the, the one that you mentioned in terms of the European Rail Programme, uh, that was that was a, a significant sort of benchmarking study uh, looking at uh, a range of international comparators and many of the challenges that uh, that Alistair alluded to in terms of the inconsistency of data and the availability mm. of it. Uh, you know, was was an absolutely you know key challenge, uh, and we ended up going sort of through a similar process of defining templates and capturing data. But even trying to set those sort of frameworks in place, it. it it becomes difficult when you look at a cost and you say, right, did that include risk or not? Was that outturn or was that, you know, contract price or or was that in effect an early stage estimate from a client? Um, and actually understanding the basis of the data points is essential as you go yeah. through. Once you've actually brought that together and as we did in terms of the benchmarking study was um, establishing a structured framework of drivers to understand the differences between uh, our client's project and the comparators that we were looking at. And we put in place a structured framework to sort of work through that from the strategic level of strategic objectives and sponsor requirements all the way down through sort of the design parameters and, and ultimately out into the sort of estimating methodology to try to understand why were there differences between these projects. And through using that driver framework and working through that, we could understand the differences and actually then consider which ones represented opportunities for our client to unlock. Um, and equally, those which were sort of explainable differences, you know, for example, due to the different laws that are in place in different countries, which enforce different requirements, for example, with respect to, say, health and safety and, and other things like that. I, th I think <clears throat> reflecting on our discussion so far, um, I think we've called out a lot of the benefits of having a consistent and well understood benchmarking approach on a project. Uh, and just before we wrap up, um, Dan, I'm keen to get your analysis view on where you think the future of benchmarking is going in industry and what it might look like? So I think, I mean, for me, you know, um, as, as, as the IPA sort of set out, um, benchmarking has to become a, a, an increasing tool in helping decision-making through the life cycle. Uh, we have got huge demands in terms of investment for infrastructure and, you know, finite funds available. Uh, and we need to ensure that we are deploying those funds with, with you know, absolute confidence that we are maximizing the value and return that we're going to get um and, and equally as i said i think you know given the the, the data environment and 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 how that's going to build uh, the two really really come together uh to to ensure that sort of benchmarking ultimately becomes a necessity and and more valuable and rich in terms of the outputs it provides i think the other piece is around you know combining it with with some of the other technology that we can see um 
which uh, potentially can enable dynamic benchmarking so that using the right benchmarks mm -hmm. at the right time. I talked about, you know, as it moves through the life cycle and driving down from a sort of system level to individual assets and so on. And would that be your um, AI enabling? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, uh, aspirationally, you'd get to a place where, you know, you have real-time updates in the benchmarking output as decisions are made, for example, different design options and, and things. And then I think, you know... Um, Equally, I would hope, you know, in terms of the future that we can move away from some relatively coarse techniques, you know, such as the application of optimism bias to projects in an early stage to understand potential mm. contingency requirements, you know, and actually using a much more data driven approach in mm. terms of data from precedent projects to actually drive um, you know yeah. some of those some of those absolutely key metrics that that ultimately are, are fed into ultimate business case decisions as to whether a project would proceed or not. I guess Alistair, the removal of optimism bias would actually probably be something the IPA would probably endorse going forward. Um, yeah, I think you know optimism bias had, had a place um, and had a time, and I think going forward, you know, when you've got so if you look in in, in the guidance for optimism bias, it sort of says um, in in the absence of of data use optimism bias and you know there's definitely a need or an appetite in my opinion to move towards you know leveraging data to you know to to make better informed decisions and to you know remove the need for optimism bias because you have a an uncertainty or a, a accuracy percentage plus or minus as well um, and for me look, I'm not I don't really want to touch upon you know machine learning and uh, AI and all these really, really great big data, uh, you know, data lakes that you hear everywhere. I think for me, my role and government's role is making sure the basics are done, which will enable all that really, really, really great technology. And, 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 and that's our role. And that's, that's, you know, it is the capability. It is the policy. It is the um, access, it is the coordination piece. And that's where I really see... Um, so for me, when people say, what does the future for benchmarking looks like? It's probably quite simple. Actually, people doing it and doing the basics really, really well. Secondly, using benchmarking as part of the decision-making process. So moving towards, you know, cost-led decision-making rather than sort of engineering-led decision-making. You know, that, that's, that's one view. Um, and getting, you know, just getting better, better estimates. And that's not just, you know, money that's... Um, you know, time, outcomes, performance, benefits as well. And I think if we if we do that and we do that really, really well, so, if, you know, if government helps to put and do the basics, then I think that really unlocks a lot of the stuff that you sort of mentioned earlier, Dan, about the AI, machine learning and what have you. So I've sort of got a challenge to industry, really. Um, if we do that, if we have organisations get themselves in a better position and start bringing benchmarking to the forefront of their decision-making, how, how can you as industry help our organizations and i don't just think it's a problem of organization i think it's the whole system how, how can you help you know build on on, on those basics I, I think that's a really strong challenge to set i think it's probably a really good place to leave today's podcast so i want to thank you both alistair and dan for your participation and i must say anyone who knows me knows i love a good chat about a tunnel so uh really enjoyed that alistair thanks very much um uh, for those listening, we'll be back again soon with more episodes. But in the meantime, we have a healthy back catalogue of podcasts available online. So please do check them out via our website, www.pwc.co.uk forward slash reimagine. Please subscribe to the series to get all our latest episodes. And don't forget to rate and review. So until next time, thank you all for listening.